दिस इज एपिसोड नंबर 54 ऑफ द इंस्पायरिंग टॉक विद इंटरनेशनल कीनोट स्पीकर जेम्स टेलर वेलकम गाइस टू द इंस्पायरिंग टॉक माय नेम इज विजय गौतम आई एम होस्ट फॉर दिस शो ईच वीक आई इंटरव्यू टुडेज मोस्ट सक्सेसफुल एंड इंस्पायरिंग पर्सनालिटीज टू हेल्प यू रियलाइज योर इनर पोटेंशियल I am very pumped for this episode guys James Taylor is an international keynote speaker author and an entrepreneur he travels around the globe to speak about creativity and innovation as the founder of C school and host of the creative life podcast and tv show he has taught hundreds of thousands of individuals in over 120 countries through his online courses books videos and keynote speeches James also organizes many international virtual summits on topics ranging from creativity to book writing and professional speaking he has worked with the world's most creative individuals and companies ranging from grammy award winning music artists best selling authors to silicon valley startups and innovative multinationals He is an in-demand creativity expert. He has been featured in countless media outlets and was the subject of a 30-minute BBC documentary about his life and work. On this episode, we talk about how can you unlock your own creativity? How an organization can leverage creativity of their employees? Resources and tools James uses to put together his virtual summits and much more. Before we jump in guys make sure to subscribe to the inspiring talk podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching for the inspiring talk now without further ado let me welcome the one and only james taylor welcome back guys inside this episode i have amazing james taylor with me today james welcome to the show Well, thank you, BJ, for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure being with everyone. Amazing. So, James, I have a lot of questions to ask and learn from you today, and I'm not sure how long this conversation is going to be. Um, but I am <laughs> we can, very. We can keep going until they until they 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 switch off the plugs. They they disconnect. <laughs> we'll just keep going as, yeah. as we can. <laughs> yeah, because I'm very very excited for this, and thank you so much for being here with us today. So, um, before we really dive into our conversation, I want to know about your. origin story where do you come from and how was growing up as a kid in scotland like for you sure so i i grew up i was born just outside of london but then when my my father was a, a musician a touring musician so very early my mother's from scotland so very early we moved up to scotland when i was about 3 years old and in the countryside beautiful countryside of scotland and it was a pretty great place to grow up as a child you know there was just fields so you can kind of run wild in the fields and everything uh there wasn't like lots of things to do there wasn't lot mass- masses of activities but it was a really safe place we had a great in a very nice community mm-hmm. around us and uh that's kind of you know where we kind of grew up we had family around us um and then really when i reached about 12 or 13 uh we we moved to another place slightly bigger property my father was doing very well uh, in his touring and uh we actually moved to a bigger house and my grandparents stayed with us as well so it was a very strong kind of family 
kind of unit that we had there. And I also got a chance because my father was a musician to travel the world with different places. Sometimes what he would do is say, okay, I'm going to America for this tour for a few weeks. Do you want to come with me? And so I would go, get a chance to go to travel to different places. So uh, it was good. It was it was a very kind of pretty average kind of uh, upbringing, I guess. But it was, it was a very nice one. Hmm, awesome. So I've heard that your parents made you climb up the summits of mountain on Scots on wind and rain. Is that true? That is true. That is true. So uh, I, think they, I think they thought it will make me a very... Um, stoic kind of tough person if i if i can in in the rain and the wind and in scotland we wear kilts we wear these kind of skirts uh sometimes and for, for occasions and and so basically i had to walk up this very very high mountain in the rain and the wind while wearing a, essentially a skirt mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it, it, it builds character let's put it that way it builds character it does but, it does um, so yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, so did your parent tell you hey i mean uh, what 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 was that conversation like they just wanted you to go climb up the mountain or was there anything any kind of instruction that they gave you uh, before you climbed up well i th- i think it's just one of these when you live in the in the countryside where we lived we have mount we had mountains all around us so they were they were all there i think it would have been if i if i'd grown up in a city it would be more challenging because it would just seem more dangerous for for me it it didn't feel like a particularly dangerous thing to do it felt more dangerous if i was if someone had parachuted my parents had taken me to the center of london or paris mm. or or delhi for example put me in the middle there when i was 10 years old then i might have been a bit fearful because i yeah. didn't know my environment but mm-hmm. when when you've been brought up around that environment even though for maybe some people it might seem very wild and rainy and windy and all these things and cold um for me it was just it was just my my playground that, and so yeah. <laughs> uh so that, that i so i actually i didn't feel i didn't feel too scared with doing it and uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun to do it Ah. So you said that your dad you traveled with your dad to see the concerts and music and all that. So where do you were you a creative kid? Um I wouldn't say I was necessarily that creative uh, as a child. Uh, um the, the thing that I always had a really big passion for was learning. And I I do remember kind of pretty early on maybe around about you know I I started I started getting into playing drums when I was very young about 10 years old. Uh we ended up going and seeing a friend of my father's who actually happened to be a drum teacher and he sat me down on the drum kit and I and he said oh just play some things so I just played a couple of things you know I'd never had a lesson before and he said okay you're going to come to me every Tuesday and I'm never going to charge you you're not going to be charged and I'll give you lessons every Tuesday so really from the age of 10 until the age of like 14 I would go there every single week and I would get drumming lessons so I learned to drum and I learned to do that and then that was great because what that allowed me to do was get up on stages so really from the age of 10 i was up on stages being paid to be a performer so uh-huh. i got i got very used to being on stages and and being in in that world even though my father would be on stage so i'd, I'd often stood at the side of stages uh, but then kind of going up onto the stage and and doing that was a slightly different thing but even then if probably if you'd asked me at that stage do you think you're very creative i probably would have said no Mm-hmm. But then when I started um I remember g- going to my, like a library a proper library for the first time I must have been maybe 13 or 14 mm-hmm. and going into this building with all these books and like wow this is amazing I mean we 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 had some books in our house but not lots of books and and I just completely dived into learning and um I think there's a, there's a difference between almost like education and learning education was what I did at school and I wasn't that interested in it a lot of time but 
when it was self-directed and I could choose what subjects I wanted to learn, if I wanted to go and learn about geography or business, hmm. whatever the area is, it felt True. much more fascinating to me. And so that really started sparking almost uh, more kind of entrepreneurial. I started reading books about business that had come along with people like Tony Robbins and self-help, for example, in, in that world and learning about you know, things like NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those really kind of sparked my imagination. Um, but even then, I might not say, still said that I was like that creative. That's something that's kind of developed over the years. Mm-hmm. So uh, are there any um, uh, specific individuals or incident that has inspired you to stay creative or it is your own finding, as you mentioned, going to library? Uh, what, what, what was that moment? Because uh, as, uh, as, as a kid, you know, we all are creative, but when you grow up, it dies. And there are several reasons yeah. to that from people around us. And uh, we ourselves losing faith on ourselves. So what, what has inspired you to cre- stay creative uh, throughout your life? I, th- I think you know one of the one of the big things, and this has been a gradual awareness and an awakening of this is, um, and people like Frederick Haran, who's a great speaker, talks about this a lot. Is you know often when we're brought up in in schools, especially in the West, we're told that creativity uh, is um, ex- what's called ex creatio, that something is created from nothing. For something to be creative, it can never have existed before. And that's not really true, if you think about it. You know, it really, in Latin, it's actually what's called uh, ex, create ex materia. So that something is often, is actually really created from something. And, you know, you, a lot of times when you think about music, for example, mm-hmm. you know, a piece of music, it's never, it's never just been created out of nowhere. The, the, the composer or the musician has heard something else, and that's inspired them to do that, but then they've mixed it with something else, and they've put a little bit of themselves into it as well, and that's created something new. So... I think a gradual recognition was that for something to be creative, it doesn't have to be, it's never existed before. But I think where it gets really fun from creativity is where you take an idea from one area and mm. apply it to a completely disparate area. And as a result, you create something quite new, and quite unique. And that, that, that was probably a gradual, um, gradual awakening, I would say. I think mm. the, the, the other big area was probably around more performing. And it wasn't necessarily performing as a musician. But when I was maybe 15, one of my uh, one of my English teachers got me into this idea of doing public speaking. And, and in that case, we, it was actually it was debating, which is, is a, I guess, is a type of public speaking. It was very adversarial. Mm-hmm. So we, we would yeah. do mock trials, like legal mock trials. And we went to like hmm. actual law courts and we kind of did mock trials there. But that what what was good about that is it, it kind of gave you the ability, like the same as a jazz musician, you learned hmm. to tell story, learned to interpret a story, tell a story, but you also got very good at improvising. So let's say if the other side mm-hmm. said something, you would you were like, Oh, okay, I need to take this and I need to change this or do something different with it or make it more interesting. I need to make if I'm if I'm representing someone that's been accused of murder, for example, I'm going to have to make a really great story as to why my, my client is, a, is an absolute saint and an angel and why the police have framed him for this or whatever the thing. So you, you learn to almost like, create, um, like almost like create versions of stories, I guess. And, and yeah. I, I really kind of got into, into doing that. Now, obviously, with law, the, that's why I probably never became a lawyer is because I like telling stories more than the, the, you know, the law is a slightly different thing. But when you get up on stage as a keynote speaker, I love being able to see something that really inspires me and then find a story in there and then tell that story to other people, give them some lessons, and then hopefully inspire them. 
Hmm. And also, uh, I really love the idea of uh, you saying uh, taking something from totally different area and applying that to different area or aspect of that like life. And that reminds me of Steve Jobs going to the handwriting or that class, at, you know, <laughs> calligraphy, yeah. yeah, and and calligraphy class, and that that totally uh, disrupted the industry on the iPhone side, right? So, yeah. Um. Uh, so, on one of your keynotes, uh, you have said. 54% people in US, 45% in UK, and around 27% people in India consider themselves creative. So how can one eliminate the doubts that they have about themselves uh, for not being creative? Or maybe how can they unlock the hidden creativity that each one of us have within ourselves? Sure. So um, so I definitely know, obviously, the US is is about 54%, the UK is about 45%. I can't remember if it, India is exactly 20%. Um, um, actually, some some of the, the things I've heard recently are actually that that figure is slightly higher. Um, and and I, I, I heard something recently, actually, someone, and I can't remember who was saying it, that is actually creativity is almost, is is in India, it's one of the, India is one of those countries that I think it's the second, they consider they have the straight, strongest or second strongest creative confidence. Mm-hmm. So. But, you know, in, there's, a, there's a difference between having creative confidence and doing something perhaps with, with that with that creativity and feeling empowered to do something. So I think the, it, you have to start from thinking and getting a recognition about what creativity actually is. And, and often that will happen because if you spend any time with a four-year-old or a five-year-old, you see that they are absolutely creative. They're, they're, they're creating, they're sitting there with their crayons and creating and being immersed in, in a flow state and creating something is wonderful to watch. But then they go to school, it starts getting knocked out of them and they're taught conventions. They're taught, you know, this is the way that should be done and their crayons are taken away from them. And then they go to college or university and that peer pressure applies to them as well. And so gradually over time, that that creative part starts getting kind of crushed out, crushed out of them because they're taught, you know, you can't, you know, this that's, that's creativity is like play. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's a kind of a difference between play and playfulness. And I would say some of the most creative people, whether that's entrepreneurs, business people, artists, um, whatever the areas, are, are very playful in their approach to things. So I think you, as an adult, you can still remain playful. It's not you don't, or you can become childlike. It's not, not necessarily childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first thing is recognizing that creativity is something that we're all born with. I absolutely believe that, and it's something that often gets knocked out of you. And so if if you're one of that whatever percent who do not consider themselves at this stage mm-hmm. that you're creative. It's first recognizing that it was there. You just kind of got lost along the way. Yeah. And so you, you now have to kind of reclaim it. And then when we start talking about how do we reclaim that creativity, I mentioned that idea that, that if you think about, first of all, that creativity is is not this idea that come, has come absolutely from nothing, but it can also be things you can put together. Then there's different levels of creativity. Yeah, so you have different levels of creativity. For example, you know, we often talk about small C creativity and big C creativity. So um, a, a big C creative is someone that does something that's new and novel and changes the domain in which they work. Hmm. So Steve Jobs, big C creative, he changed the domain of, of technology. Einstein changed the domain of technology, for example. You, you've got these people that have changed, you know, uh, the domain. Uh, you know, my cat, I have a cat and, <laughs> in, and it's always bringing in little rodents and insects and things into the house. And it's always coming up with very in, in, ingenious ways of bringing in mice into our house, but it's not changing the domain of, 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 um, of 
capturing things, capturing mice or looking or, or dealing with rodents. So, so the, wherever, wherever you are, you're going to be on a scale often at different points in your life on, you know, sometimes you're, it's small C creativity because you go and make that amazing meal. You make that amazing dish at home. Um, and it doesn't change cu- the culinary world, but it's creative. And you've taken this thing from that and you've created something. That's fine. But really what I try and do is I try and help people move up that scale and actually do things which are not just creative, but they can potentially change the domain in which they work and they can be be really considered as true innovators in what they do. And that's that's why it's often then the case of I say to people, don't just stay in your your field all the time learning from your field. A friend of mine, Dr. K.H. Kim, she's a neuro, uh, professor um in the u.s and she did a big study of nobel prize winners and what she found is the top prize winners they are boundary crossers Mm -hmm. so they will take an idea from one area and apply it to another Mm -hmm. so they might be very good for example richard um feynman Mm -hmm. you know physicist very good he learned about one particular area but then he also got into some other areas which are kind of outlying areas and then he applied it into what he did and he came up with ideas that no one just on their own would be working on so I would encourage if some if you're working in your in your business and you know you're looking to come up with in your area you're looking to come up with new ideas and be more creative in it. Don't just follow those people who are your peers in your industry. Hmm. Try and look a little bit broader. Go to art exhibitions. Go and see what's happening in technology. Read widely because often there'll be ideas that will spark from from those areas. Yeah. And you might not necessarily think, wow, that's really creative. Because I've just taken one idea and applied it into this field that I know a lot about. But actually, that is a creative endeavor. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of insights there. Yeah, James, uh, so today you speak across the globe as a leading keynote speaker on creativity and artificial intelligence and help businesses enable the creative process within their organizations. But not all the organizations are open to uh you know uh, to let their employees be creative so how can businesses leverage the creativity of their employees to take the business to another level yes that's a great question i mean there's often what you will find in, in a lot of big organizations is the c suite the senior managers they will recognize the value of creativity um in fact there was a big study done recently by i think boston consulting group that found that Creativity is in the top three strategic priorities in large organizations now. In fact, they did another study, uh, I think it was IBM, did interviewed two and a half thousand corporate leaders, and they said that creativity is the number one skill that they're looking for now, you know, in, in their senior mm. leaders. So, so at the higher level, they, they recognize that. The problem then becomes is as you get further down into an organization um, where they want to do things obviously in a more routine way. And sometimes those kind of creative ideas get kind of get knocked out of things. So there's, there's a number of things that you can do there. The, probably the biggest impact that you can have is is really setting up the environment um, and setting up the conditions for, for creativity to thrive. Hmm. And I'll give you give you a couple of ex- examples of how you you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to find areas where people can collaborate. We sometimes call this a, a third space. So you it, often we have a the place that you live and your your home, and then you have your your work, your office desk, for example, or your cubicle, wherever you're you're, you're working. Um, 
Now, these are the home and work, but you often, in order to do really creative work, you kind of need this other place, often called a third space. And it's not quite your home. And it's not quite your work. And the smart companies, what they do is they set these up in the building. So you'll often find in places like the Google, in Google offices, they will have lots of little places where people can congregate, mingle, um, spend time together, maybe people from different departments. Uh, so they will cross-fertilize ideas. Now, this isn't a particularly new idea. This is a Silicon Valley thing. This, this comes from, you know, two and a half thousand years ago, you know, where in the ancient Greeks, they used to have symposiums, which mm-hmm. was a symposium, which just means to drink together. And, and what you would have is you'd have people from different backgrounds. You'd have a philosopher there and you would have a merchant there and you'd have someone else there, an artist there. And they would kind of get together, have a glass of wine and discuss and debate ideas and challenge ideas. So it's very important that you need you have to have those places. As history's gone on, we've seen you know it gets repeated time and time again. These third places in Vienna in the 1800s and 1900s, they were the coffee shops. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted access to the best minds of the time, the most creative people, just go to a coffee shop, and you would have people from all these different backgrounds, you know, exchanging ideas. And the important thing that they had in them is they had a sense of intimacy and trust. People trusted that they could go there. They could express their ideas. Um, they could, their ideas would be challenged, absolutely, but they could express them in, in an environment. And so one of the simplest things that organizations could do is find, even in the environment, the, the way they structure the, the buildings in which they work, ensuring that they have those third places that people can chat, can congregate. It's not just about, you know, purely just head down work. You know, only 19% of your ideas will ever occur to you when you're sitting at a desk in front of a computer. You need to have those interactions. That's the first one. And then we come to the more cultural aspects. And that can be things like just teaching people how to give, to do brainstorming sessions. Very simple. You know, we brainstorming sessions invented in the 50s. Very good idea, but most companies do it wrong. Most companies will have, in a brainstorming session, will have one person whose ideas will dominate the board because they will have the whiteboard pen. Mm -hmm. And it's often the most senior person in the room and their ideas will dominate the board. Now, that's a challenge, especially if you're in organizations which have strong hierarchy, where people, more junior people don't want to put forward their ideas because they want to see be seen as respectful to more senior executives in the organization. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to structure brainstorming sessions a little bit more in a more refined way and ensure that everyone has whiteboard pens, everyone is empowered to go and express their ideas there. If you're working with a lot of engineers, for example, that one of the other challenges with brainstorming sessions is it will often be the people who are very verbal, who are very good at speaking, yeah. whose ideas dominate the board. True. Well, not everyone's like that. 50% of people aren't like that. They're, 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 they're quieter, they're more introverted, they want to think about it. So if you work in those organizations, you should be ensuring that before a brainstorming session happens, everyone is told what the problem or the challenge that they're trying to solve is in advance so they can think about it in think advance. Think about it and come yeah. Yeah, and then and then when you get into the room, a very useful process is called brain writing, where instead of actually speaking out, you just say, okay, for the next five minutes, I want you to write down all your ideas individually on a piece of paper that you have about dealing with this problem. And then after a few minutes, you m- move that piece of paper to the person to your left, and they're either going to add new ideas or, or 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 add additions to what your ideas. And then a few minutes later, they gets passed. And so if you've got ten people in a room. You can get lots of ideas flowing and lots of ideas moving around. And then you have someone at the front of the room who is essentially putting up all these ideas 
And that way, it doesn't show who necessarily came up with the idea. It might be the most junior person in the room, the very quietest person in the room, but it's given them a voice to be able to put forward those ideas. And then you can start to analyze them. Mm, awesome. So this reminds me of uh, an activity that we do on a training itself called a Rule of 35. So uh, we ask people to write down the uh, two important ideas or, you know, whatever they think would be uh, the solution to that particular idea. And then we uh, let them exchange those paper by moving around the room uh, right. for the people and then, you know, ask people to rate those ideas. And people don't know who has written that idea, but they are just rating the ideas, uh, you know, uh, without any bias because they don't it, it, it this paper don't have the name of the person uh, where the idea came from written exactly. on the paper right and then uh, then you come out with the best idea so uh, James let's move a bit towards uh, online summit so you have organized online summit on creativity uh, what you called as creative life summit bringing experts on creativity from across the globe and it was uh, first of the many summits that you have organized right yeah, that's right. That was the very actually there was there was one just before that, which was but it wasn't necessarily my name that was on the front of it, which is the very first one I tested, which was for guitar players. And I don't play guitar. Oh, okay. And uh and so it was a very strange one because uh we have a number of, of businesses we're involved in which help guitar players in terms of learning guitar, but I'm not a guitar player. So I had the strange situation where I was having to interview like thirty, forty guitarists oh. and I'm not a guitar player. So I was obviously talking to them more about the, the journey because I don't know, I don't know how to play. I know a little bit about guitar, but I don't know enough. Yeah. But that actually was very successful. We had, I think we had about 5,000 or maybe 10,000 attendees on that one. But after we did it, I knew that, okay, if I'm going to do future retreats, future summits, and then, and, and like the next one after that was the Creative Life Summit, I said, I really want to really, I want to do this summit because I really want to know about this topic. It's not because I have something to sell at the end of it, but it's, it's an area that I want to learn more about. And hopefully, mm -hmm. if I want to learn about it, then other people will want to learn about it as well. Uh, yeah. So, so the basic idea was that you wanted to improve yourself on the creative process and wanted to establish yourself as an expert on the uh, creativity around the world, right? That's it. And that was the very first one. We did Creative Life Summit. I interviewed, I can't remember how many, maybe 50 or so uh, creative leaders. And they were entrepreneurs and artists and designers and, and uh, educators. And it was just a really fascinating way to learn uh, from all these great minds and also put me on the map in terms of people seeing me as an authority on my topic of creativity. Absolutely. Um, so you had no uh, kind of name in the creativity space at the point in time when you started out, right? So Correct. What, what was the approach like to uh, in, in inviting these people or the global experts uh, later on on the other summits, such as uh, you have invited Jack Canfield to come on the mm -hmm. board with you? So what, what was that approach look like when you just started out? I think it's one of those interesting things. I, I think um, obviously the, there's more and more summits being created now. Uh, I think initially at the start, and this is why I'm always very keen, but before I even do an interview or we decide to do an interview with, with a guest, I said, just give me 15 minutes for a call. And on that 15 minute call, the first thing, I don't tell them like what the thing is, what the summit is. I don't tell them all the different aspects of the summit and what's required. I start with the why. Um, and I say, this is why I'm doing this summit. In the case of International Speakers Summit, I was doing it because I, because I wanted to learn how to become a great speaker. And I wanted to learn from the best speakers in the world. Absolutely. And that's why I was doing it. That was first and foremost for me. So 
when and when you have that conversation with someone, it doesn't matter how experienced they are as a as a speaker, they they recognize themselves in you because they were also on that journey at some point in their lives. And then they're going to go, oh, okay, well, I get it now. It's it's not a big, you know, it's not a big, huge financial thing. This is because it's it's a way of 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 dispersing this knowledge and and helping more people at scale. And um and so once you kind of have that conversation, then obviously you're going to get a certain percentage will say, no, it's not for me, and that's fine. It's probably it's very small percentage, maybe five ten percent, but the vast majority say yes, let's do it. And then it's an interesting thing that happens is whenever I interview a guest, I'll always ask at the end, you know. It, who else? Who else should I interview? Who else is would be a great person to have on this site? And oh. usually, you will get two or three two or names. Three recommendations. Say, oh, I've got to introduce you to Sue, or or I, I've got to introduce you to Ritu, or I've got to introduce you to someone else. Um, and that will help build it for you, and it gets its own momentum going. Really, how do you initially like market the summits like this, or how do you make sure that this reaches to the kind of audience that you are targeting to? So it really starts. I mean, there's a number of ways um, to do it. it. It'll often start with I, I have my own list, my own email lists, and so I'll start just maybe putting out to them first. Maybe about three weeks before the summit begins, I'll, I'll tell my my folks about it and I'll, across my social media. And then about two weeks before the event starts, I've I've asked in advance all of my guests to tell all their lists and their social media people about the event as well. So they all start promoting at the same time, and then. Around about that time, we'll also start running ads, Facebook ads, for example. And I know the kind of audience that we would want to have on this this particular event. And so we just start running Facebook ads. Now, the the way that the the models of most summits work is um, you can sign up for free. You can attend the whole summit, watch the whole summit for free. Hmm. Um, You get access basically for the first 48 hours to all the interviews. But if you want to continue to watch these and get access to them and what all the bonuses that you get bonus courses then you have to upgrade to what we call a vip pass now those that vip pass it might be 27 dollars, 47 dollars, 100 dollars. but the point is what we do is with that 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 money that comes in from there because for me i don't look at my summits primarily as a as a revenue driver i'm doing it because it's something i want to learn and i want to hmm. kind of build a community then we put a lot of that money back straight back into facebook ads for example Mm-hmm. And then that will kind of create its own flow. And then you obviously ask the people that are attending the summits, hey, is it, you might know some friends that also might be interested in, here's the link, you know, th- so they can also sign up for a free pass. And so it kind of starts to take on a little bit of a life of its own. Um, and, you know, I've had summits, I've had maybe 5,000 people. I've had summits with 10,000 plus people. I was speaking to someone yesterday that did a summit on, I'm a, I, I don't, I'm a vegan. Mm-hmm. And I was having a chat with this, and I'm going to be on his his event, his next summit, and he he does summits about living a plant-based life and being mm-hmm. vegetarian or vegan. And he had 22,000 people on his. And uh, there was another one I, I was checking out the other day, Hay House. They're a big publisher. He had nearly a, just over a million people attending their online summits. So some of these can become really big. For, but for me, even if it's a smaller, maybe it's 5,000, then as long as it's a really engaged oh, 5,000, nice yeah, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. absolutely fine for me. Mm-hmm. So what tools do you use to create um, this kind of summits or maybe distribute these kind of summits? So the main tools I use are Entreport, which is a great CRM. It helps me keep all the all the data, all the information uh, together. It also allows me to create all my pages and affiliate programs from that as well and, and, and be able to take uh, credit cards and, and things like that. 
Uh, we also use uh, Vimeo for our videos. That's really simple. Um, uh, and then we have people upgrade to a VIP pass. We we host those in a slightly different uh, area for the because we have a lot of bonus courses in there as well. Uh, and we use a system called Kajabi for that. I'm good friends at the folks at Kajabi. And so between those, those are the main things we do. We we use really, and it's the actual the, the technology is not that scary really. I'm not. I don't consider myself a technologist. I've I've got my microphone here. I've got a camera, a little you know a little HD camera on on my computer here. I've got my yeah. computer. That's it. You need maybe something to edit the videos and uh, something to record them, which is like twenty dollars or from Skype. And that's it, really. It's, it's it's not a big thing to get. And, and this is what I love now. You know, what, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm working with other thought leaders and authors and speakers to help them create their own summit. So I'm essentially acting as a, as a coach. In fact, as we're recording this, we're going through a 90 day challenge. I am helping. Uh, I'm helping uh, speakers and authors from all over the world, from India, Singapore, the UK, America, create their own online summits in whatever topic is that they're they're doing and i'm teaching them oh, how I i'd love mine. to be part of the next one yeah it's, it's great i mean it's, <laughs> what's great fun is you see you see everyone um kind of coming up with their ideas for the summit and i'm helping them really develop the idea so it's going to give them the best chance of success and you know the the, the thing that a lot of people worry about is you know if someone's not known yet in the market then they're worried that people will say no to them then they invite them onto the thing but time and time again what i see is they reach out to people if they have a good idea for a good summit they reach out to people and most people say yes most people either say yes or if people say no they say no not now and here's why very rarely you will get someone come back and say absolutely not and be blunt very 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 rarely happens most people are nice and so most people will say either yes i'd love to be on it or um i i would like to do it but i, I don't have time to do it now and that, and, and that's fine and so it's great you're seeing all these different summits created on everything from marketing to cryptocurrency to health and fitness to parenting uh there's and obviously in different languages the summit's being created in multiple languages now as well hmm wow awesome so um uh, James, is there anything else that we haven't discussed as of now uh, on, on creativity or uh, maybe uh, creating the online summit that you'd like to leave to my guest before we jump into the enlightenment? I would say, you know, if you're interested, first of all, attend an online summit, sign up for a, for a free online summit. You can go to one of ours, internationalspeakerssummit.com or eventprofessionalsummit.com if you're an event organizer and just go through the process, see what it looks like. You can go through free and just see how, how, how it works. Um, and then if you do want to do one, the other thing to remember is you don't have to do it own. One of the summits I did was called Event Professional Summit. And I actually, um, a friend of mine, Erin Gargan, who's a speaker in California, we basically divided up the work. So she did half the interviews. I did half the interviews uh, because she was very well connected with uh, certain people in the US. I'm more connected with people in uh, Asia and um, India and obviously in, in Europe as well. So you can, you can, it can actually be quite fun to do a summit with someone else. So if you, maybe if, maybe if you're the person you're really happy being doing all the interviewing, you could do that and maybe partner with someone who is really more into the technology, vice versa, or maybe you both do the interviews. True. But don't feel you have to do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So James, now it's time for the enlightening round. Are you excited? I am very excited. Very excited indeed. Awesome. So James, you inspire a lot of people across the globe through your keynotes and summits. What inspires you to do everything that you do? I would love to tell you it's some 
big mission or big purpose or big plan or something. But that's not what inspires me. What inspires me is just doing the work. Is actually the is just getting getting being able to get up every day, uh, being able to dictate the kind of work that I want to do every day. Whether it might be a, you know today, obviously I'm doing a lot of interviews, podcasts, and interviewing people for a future summit, or I'm sitting down and I'm giving some advice to one of our C school members on on what they're doing on their next uh, event. Um, I just love. I love just doing the work. That's what inspires me. It the inspires process. me doing the work and the process yeah. and then getting feedback from from people that helps them in some way. Which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? I would say probably the biggest one is every morning I'll sit down and I'll work through my what my tasks are for that day. I'll do my even though I have it on my calendar, my Google calendar, I'll sit and actually physically write it out. And I'll also write a couple of other things. I'll write out what I'm grateful for. I, I'll write out what some affirmations of things that, that, that I'm committed to have happening as well. They're, they're the biggest ones I would say in terms of I was productivity. But the other thing I do, which is nothing to do with product, really, I would say necessarily productivity, but just more to do with wellness, is I do yoga every morning. And I've tried doing meditation every morning and I've failed miserably. And it's something I, 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 I want to be able to do at some point. But for me, just doing yoga because a lot of what I'm doing is I'm sitting at a desk, you know, for you know, large amounts of time doing interviews or or working on something, answering emails or writing. Uh, just doing, getting up every morning and doing yoga. I was up at 6 a.m. this morning doing yoga. Uh, that that's a good way just to uh, kind of reconnect with things. Just you just heard the power of journaling. Even though you know we all have the access to technological apps and everything, but the power of writing down on the paper. And we also discussed this in detail on the episode number fifty one, where I talked about the power of journaling. Just write it down, pour your thoughts onto paper, and see the magic happening. Because that's when when you just wake up in the morning and put that. Put those thoughts on the paper that will transform your life. Writing down what you are grateful for, writing down what you are gonna do on that particular day—that's just so transformative. Thank you so much for sharing that, James. Um, so, could you share a book or maybe two that has influenced you personally in the recent past? I would say the book that I read maybe twice a year um, is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. He was a, a Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher, um, and it's just a very good book uh, about uh, just you know about um, mindset. Really, I guess is what what it's about. It's really talk about Stoic philosophy, but it's really about mindset. That's probably the one I, I keep returning to time and time again. Um, in terms of probably the one that's uh, that's probably had a big, a really big kind of impact on me. I would actually probably go back right to the very start, and there was a book I read a long time ago. Probably when I was about fourteen. And it was called um, "Unlimited Power" by Tony Robbins, mm. and that was a that was a really interesting book because, especially you know, when when you're a kid, like fourteen, fifteen, yeah. and you're going through all those things and stuff like that, um, and you know, there's all these things to, to have to have something like to be able to read something like that, which really opens your mind up to developing yourself was was it was a very very good thing um and so and i've had a chance to see uh, see tony a number of times i, I work uh, work with his uh, one of his business partners as well on some things and so uh, i would say meditations which is more philosophical 
and probably you know the unlimited power which is the more practical awesome so james if you were given a chance to start your journey all over again what are those three things that you think you would have done differently i would have found mentors sooner um i would have reached out to people finding mentors um i would have put my put my own brand further to the front for the really the first 15 years of my my career my my job was really building the other people's brands and i've been very very good mm. at it marketing and building other people's brands and helping other people make obviously a lot of money in doing that and so i would probably have started to build my brand um a little bit sooner than that and the third thing is actually something i'm only really starting to do now and uh, and i wish i would you know if i'd started all of it i would probably have done sooner and that was making writing uh, a daily practice writing 500 words a day or a thousand words a day making that a daily practice and that's something i'm i'm really just starting to do now awesome so uh, james could you share some online tools such as evernote or any app that you use on a regular basis that has helped you uh, maybe in becoming better organized or disciplined or uh, basically has helped you in your personal development journey so my number one tool is my journal and my pen that that's my 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 my, ah. my my top tool i never go anywhere without those i can i can live without my phone it doesn't bother me if i don't have my phone with me but i like to have my my journal and my pen with me in terms of like technology type tools um we use i i've got a team now and so we use slack extensively for internal communications we use trello um for just managing projects and when we're doing summits uh, i'm a big fan of entreport uh, which is our is our crm that we use um we use uh, zendesk which is our customer support areas and i mentioned that we use also kajabi the cool tools i've just started using recently a couple of my friends have turned me on to uh and w- the main one is a tool called bombbom b o m b b o m b.com very simple a b o m bombbom b o m b b o m b bombbom.com and it's a really simple little tool it just you have it, you have it on your phone or your computer and it you can just record very short little videos and then send those videos to people in the form of an email so it actually looks like a little gif video when they open up their email and and i use that a lot when i'm uh just sometimes i can i can speak faster than i can write and so sometimes i just want to reach out to someone to thank them for something or if maybe a client has inquired about me speaking and i'm just about to get on a plane like I'm, i can't do an actual call with them at that point i'll just fill them a quick bomb bomb and send that to them so that's worth checking out Wow, that's so awesome. So James, I have one more question left for you, but before I ask you that question, uh how can people reach out to you maybe attend the upcoming uh International Book Summit that's coming on up October or basically how can people reach out to you? So the best place for them to go is go to jamestaylor.me.me and that's uh that has kind of that's home base really for everything. And if you just look for me James Taylor, you can go on uh Twitter, Facebook, Instagram I'm using Instagram a little bit more now as well then uh I'll be sharing information about this uh, new summit that I'm going to be launching called International Authors Summit that oh, sorry uh, it was also summit the, the main yeah it does uh, international authors summit so so I've I've got a number of summits where I have international speaker summit um uh and this next one that's coming up is called International Authors Summit and so that's going to be launching probably maybe by the time this this comes out as well so but just go over to jamestail.me you'll find everything there I've also got some free resources you can find I also have links there to the podcast and I have a free a TV show James Taylor show 
which also has lots and lots of videos all about creativity. So head to head to the home base, head to jamestaylor.me. Guys, I'll link all the resources and books and all the links James has mentioned in this episode on the show notes page. And also make sure that you head on to James' YouTube channel that is that has got a huge knowledge bank on creativity, artificial intelligence and whatnot. So he has got, he drops a lot of value over there. And also his, the way he plans his year, the tools that he uses for his businesses and whatnot. So you will get a lot of resources out there. So James, here is the last question for you today. So imagine that you are standing on the stage of the biggest arena ever built in the history of the world. And every single seat on that arena is filled. And there are millions of people sitting on that arena looking at you and listening to you very, very, very carefully. And you have to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. And you only have got one minute of your time. What would be your message? Mm, That's a difficult one. One minute to share a message which will change people's lives i would say uh it's not a topic i I really speak about on stage but uh it might be something about if i only had a minute and maybe after that point i was no longer going to be around it would probably have to do something with being grateful gratefulness um and so being grateful for what you have uh you know wherever you are in your in your journey being very grateful for that the people that you have around you being great grateful for them and i would I would encourage just because I like leaving people with some actionable thing that they could do is I would encourage people to do random acts of kindness or random acts of gratitude. And that could be as simple as every day, just getting a little postcard and writing a little thank you to someone or just doing one thing every day, which shows gratitude to to other people. You know, you'd be, you'd be amazed at the impact that something as simple as that has. So if there's a, if there's, you know, a few hundred thousand people in that in that auditorium. And if everyone does that, everyone goes away and the next day they do a little random act of gratitude or a random act of, of, of kindness, then uh, the, the ripples will, will definitely go out from there. Be kind. It has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for being on the show, James. It's been my absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Guys, you have it there theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5454 I hope you learned something or got some inspiration. If you did, make sure that you share this episode with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Help me in spreading these amazing insights James has shared on this episode. You can find all the links and resources mentioned on this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5454 that is theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5454 thank you so much for listening I'll catch you in the next now go out there and do something inspiring inspiring